Hello and welcome to All Things Small Business, brought to you by DAU. I'm Ken Karka, DAU Small Business Learning Director. This series is offered as a continuing dialogue between government, industry, and academia on acquisition-related issues that impact small businesses who support the critical defense industrial base. Let's join today's conversation. Welcome to All Things Small Business. I'm Anthony Rotolo, and this is the show where acquisition and small business meet. We bring together business owners, contract experts, policymakers, and stakeholders, and we explore the issues facing small business and acquisition professionals as they work together to overcome challenges in a government and defense context. With me for today's episode is Anita Brightman, founder and CEO of A Bright Idea, Advertising and Public Relations. It's an agency headquartered in Maryland, which she began 25 years ago. Ms. Brightman is accredited in public relations by the Public Relations Society of America and is a member of their College of Fellows. She oversees her agency's business operations and leads a growing team of experts through a creative and strategic approach to building memorable brands and creating impactful public outreach initiatives through verbal and visual communications. Anita, welcome to All Things Small Business. Thanks, Anthony. I really appreciate you having me. Anita, I'm so excited to have you. Now, I understand you've had an anniversary recently. You're in business for how long? As of the end of August, we are celebrating our 25th anniversary at A Bright Idea. Very exciting. Tell us your story. This is So 25 years is a, an enormous milestone. I can't remember what that is, if that's gold or silver or whatever it is when you, uh, you have anniversaries. But um, tell. I'm sure your work is gold. Tell us about your work. Well, thanks. Uh, this is actually our silver and shine anniversary, uh, as we like to call it. In 1996, I launched A Bright Idea, uh, really without any expectation that it was going to last a quarter of a century. I had been working in the defense sector for a number of years. And uh, after the birth of my daughter, had been traveling a tremendous amount for work and decided to start my own business as the contract that I was working on was coming to an end. And I really thought it was going to be my temporary position until I found something new And here we are 25 years later with uh, offices on the East and the West Coast and a team of about 40 communication professionals. Um, So it's been quite rewarding and refreshing um, to be able to provide uh, support to a number of government, nonprofit and commercial clients for this long. That sounds very rewarding, that type of growth and to look back now upon it and reflect on your journey. I know that the work you do is sorely needed by the government. Tell us, why do federal agencies such as those within the DOD need a smart strategic communications program? Well, our government clients in particular within the DOD really need to engage their stakeholders, and they need to do that because there are certainly regulatory guidelines like permits uh, related to RICRA, for example, that they need to be able to meet certain 
communication guidelines, sharing of information. But it's really much more than that. It's about engaging with stakeholders and trying to find ways for two-way communication so that we can help our customers mitigate any challenges that their programs would have and eliminate those risks to their budgets and schedules having impacts. Tell us more about the two-way aspect of that communication. What are the pitfalls? What are you trying to avoid? So really with the the two-way dialogue, it's looking for ways that our customers are able to engage stakeholders in a conversation. Often we will see government agencies having the desire to share information. It might be in putting information out on a website or putting together a public service announcement, uh, doing a poster session or a town hall. But it's really much more important to engage their stakeholders in communication to see what their concerns and issues are so that you can bring those changes to your program so that you can keep your program on task. Um, Many years ago, we worked on a program for the U.S. Army uh, for chemical weapons disposal. And the incineration of chemical weapons in local communities certainly had stakeholders and concerned parties worried about the impacts of incineration facilities in their communities. And so working with these groups, we were able to put together citizens advisory commissions and put in each of these communities outreach offices as ways to facilitate conversations between the Army and the neighboring communities. And that is one of the things I think that really helped move that program forward that stopped the concerns, although you can't mitigate all concerns of individuals, but it gave the perspective of where the community had concerns and the Army was able to address them and to be able to keep their mission moving forward. Thank you. Now, I understand you create strategic communication plans for your clients using a process that you call IOM. It stands for Issues, Opportunities, Milestones. Is that something that you coined? I wanted to get a sense of what that is and how that works. Sure. So it is actually a process that we've used at A Bright Idea for over the last two decades. It's a multidisciplinary approach that we use to address emerging issues, opportunities, and milestones that are most relevant to key stakeholder concerns and that have the potential to positively or negatively impact a program's credibility, its cost, or its schedule. So we'll work with agencies to identify potential IOMs. It might be something like conducting a series of meetings or interviews with um, management or program managers within an organization. And just looking at a forecast maybe for 60 to 120 days out, let's identify potential issues, opportunities, and milestones within the program. Once we've identified them, we can then think about the impact that they have to the program or project. We'll develop a situational analysis We'll usually send then a list of these IOMs to various program managers for concurrence. And once they they concur, we'll put together an actionable plan that includes tools and tactics 
and metrics that we'll be able to execute in support of that particular initiative. So the IOM is really an actionable process, action plan, in that it is just focused on a singular activity versus a comprehensive initiative or program. You know, it sounds a bit like a SWOT analysis, which examines strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. But I like the milestone aspect because you put it into context of time and it looks like you're putting a horizon on things that can be done, actions that can be taken with a specific effect in mind right now. It really does help us identify specific activities within an organization that sometimes are otherwise missed. It's a way for us to be able to leverage these opportunities and milestones for ways to communicate with stakeholders or to find opportunities for media relations or to look at the development of information products. You know, in your own case, 25 years it gives you some bragging rights. It gives you an opportunity to use that as sort of a, a touchstone to things that you want to express about your company to your stakeholders and partners and clients. Now, I imagine that your federal government agency clients are good at sharing information in ways that they're accustomed to, but that a PR and advertising firm like yours can really help them in the communications department. How do you help them engage in dialogues with their stakeholders? So we work with clients in a variety of ways. Um, there could be some combination of both verbal and visual communication in almost anything that we do. So traditionally, we might be working on developing a fact sheet or an information graphic, printed products, as well as products that are available for the web might be hosting events or poster sessions as part of a compliance requirement. Um, but I think we also are looking at ways that we can create opportunities for dialogue and engagement with stakeholders in non-traditional ways. And I think one of the more exciting projects that we've had the opportunity to work on now for about a decade has been with the Defense Logistics Agency and specifically the troop support team in Philadelphia. Uh, many years ago when General Perna was there, he was interested in engaging the workforce and creating sort of a branded environment for the teams there to realize the impact of their acquisition activities on the warfighter. And so uh, Bright Idea was engaged to develop a series of large format wall graphics for them in all of their different buildings throughout their campus, which are certainly um, World War II era warehouses. And so we took that opportunity as a way to engage their workforce and create a series of icons and color schemes that were associated with each of the divisions within troop support. And then to be able to take these graphics and put them throughout the hallways and what they call their oasis areas was a way to show the workforce the impact of what they were doing. When you would have a large format graphic of a soldier in the battlefield or someone that needed medical equipment that the folks at troop support provided, 
it was a reminder to someone walking down the hall that they needed to be able to get back to their desk quickly because someone needed the item that they were procuring. So using some kind of uh, non-traditional communication method like that in a verbal sense um, was a way to engage that particular community. Yeah, I really love that. I love how it instills a sense of vision. You weren't defaulting to some digital mechanism to reach them. I think large format graphics in an environment are very arresting. And to see that the end result of all their work is supporting soldiers is so powerful. And to show it larger than life that way has a lot of visual impact and and emotional impact. And again, supports that vision for their mission. It does. And as government employees, staff really want to have a sense of place as well. They want to feel connected to their workplace. They don't want to be in a sterile environment. And they want a real sense of pride. And we definitely saw that once these graphics were installed, the great pride and care of the workforce that was there feeling uh, very connected to what they were doing. And we've seen the same sort of um, project be replicated in other organizations. We've done large format graphics um, and entire displays for VIP visits and presentations in the chemical and biological defense community. We've also done that for Army Medical Logistics Command as well for the number of legislators, staffers, uh, vendors that come in. These large format wall graphics can also be a way to serve as a backdrop or an area to brief and discuss an agency mission. Yeah, they really provide nice backgrounds for on-camera type of opportunities with that type of visualization of the mission behind them. So I imagine it served a lot of purposes. It, it reminds me a little bit of that old Charles Schwab story about the bricklayers, where he's asking the bricklayers what they're doing. One is, he's, he's, I'm just laying bricks. Another one is, I'm making $5 a day. The other one is saying, I'm building a cathedral, you know? So it's all about vision. And I yes. think, especially in the government, where some of us are working for massive organizations, uh, the DOD is a massive organization. And are you a cog in the wheel? Do you feel that way? Or do you have a, a personal sense of investment in the welfare of a soldier out there. Very, very important to keep the vision in front of people. Now, Anita, how do you take the technical information from your government clients? There's a lot of technical information with government clients. How do you take that stuff and make it accessible to their stakeholders? So for our team, it really is integrating verbal and visual communication so when we sit with a scientist or an engineer and we talk with them about a particular topic, we'll often say to them, explain this to me like you're talking to your high school student. And we'll ask them questions so that we have an understanding of what it is that they're trying to communicate. And we will write and we will create designs that are engaging and meaningful to stakeholders. So we're often looking to take technical information and to convert that language at a very sophisticated level 
and make it more accessible. That's writing more concisely using smaller sentences, um, smaller words, uh, less syllables um, to make things more accessible, looking at things like a gunning fog index, which tells us the grade level in which that we are writing. And then it's also taking visuals and using visuals to represent information. So it might be taking something and creating an information graphic or a process graphic that we can use to supplement the text that we're writing or creating an animation or a video actually to help explain a process or a system. It's very, very important work. It's not a dumbing down either. It's a way of taking something complex and it's a reductionism that's really like a translation. You're, you're going from something that is complicated and requires work to communicate it simply. It's kind of like the old Mark Twain anecdote of, I, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have enough time. It takes time <laughs> to do that kind of work. And I also like how you're using the verbal and the, the visual to bring it home. True. And it is a sign of respect for your audience that you have taken the time to translate this information that is accessible to them and is in some in a way that they can understand so that they can engage and participate in the process. Um, you know, that, this is not something that sometimes stakeholders are involved in every day, like a scientist or an engineer would be. And it is truly respectful by sharing your information and asking them for their feedback by giving them the information in a way that's easy to understand. Absolutely. Sometimes people are just searching for an entry point and now you've provided it to them. So exactly. yes, very, very important work. Now, how have the government's small business certification programs benefited your company? So a bright idea is um, a certified woman-owned small business, and we are a graduate of the 8A business development program. So we have actually taken advantage of many of the opportunities that the Small Business Administration has offered, um, the 8A program probably being the number one benefit. It gave us an entry point into government contracting, not when we first started. We waited about 10 years being in business, growing our past performance, working as a subcontractor to large defense contractors before we went to get our certification. And the reason that we waited was so that we would be able to seek the uh, maximum benefit of that particular program. Uh, so often, small businesses will get that certification, jump right into the 8A program. And we know that the government contracting life cycle is long and your time in the 8A program is finite and you miss some of those early years in the program because of the life cycle of government contracting. So our participation in the 8A program allowed us to receive several directed awards, which really impacted our growth and allowed us significant past performance to be able to compete now in a much larger arena. So it really did help you. It really set you up for success. But now as you grow and as you sort of find your legs as a small business, are there any 
downsides or caveats that go along with all of that? So the rules often feel like they're changing all the time. So trying to stay abreast of changing guidelines, FAR guidelines, is difficult for a small business. So we do surround ourselves with a variety of vendors that are able to support us in that fashion. Um, And then I would say probably the biggest downfall participating in some of these programs is that they really do cap our growth. So for example, in our industry, our small business size standard is less than $20 million. And being in the business now for 25 years, we went from a $15 million ceiling to a $16.5 million ceiling in 25 years. That's the growth that we've seen in our small business size standard. There are communication firms that are worldwide that do billions of dollars in revenue each year. And so the limitations for us as we have grown and expanded are a bit challenging in that we have to sometimes temper our growth in order to maintain our small business size standard. Otherwise, we're in the same pond as the big boys like you know, of Raytheon or, or Alidos and competing against them. Uh, that's very interesting. That growth, you said 15 to 16.5 million over that span of years, you really were bumping your head on a ceiling very quickly, right? Well, it certainly took us a while to, to get to that point. But as you see growth, you can see winning one really large contract has the potential to bump you out of one of those small business size standards. And that can have implications for years. Absolutely. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention how people can find you online. You are at abrightideaonline.com. And I bring this up because you have some wonderful articles there that I would point people to. And you have a section on the site called Buzz, where some of those are housed. And I'm alluding to some of the stuff that you've written there. You have advice for small business owners. I want to kind of like wind things up along these lines, because having celebrated your 25th anniversary, you've amassed wisdom along the way. What pointers, Anita, do you have for other small businesses that are just starting out on their journey? So I would say, more than anything, build a network of resources, because you don't really need to have all of the answers, but you do need to have relationships and to know where to go to find the answers. Um, For us, it has been building a network of resources of freelance vendors, lawyers, accountants, folks that are able to help us with the compliance components of federal government contractings. Um, In terms of customer relations, I would say find a way to say yes to your client and your customer, to a contracting officer that calls you. uh, That is really about being flexible and finding a way to provide high-level customer service. I'd also say that in our 25 years, we have found that our growth 
and our strength has come in our staff. And so we work really hard to create a culture where we find the right jobs for the right people. We want to treat them with care and respect because that's how we're going to grow when we support one another. And that culture um, is the conduit really of our brand and our clients. They see how we're living our brand in the way that we treat our employees in the way that our employees engage with them. And focusing on brand really is the cornerstone of so much of communication. You need to know that your brand hits the mark. Um, I have loved the color purple since I was little. Um, the bright idea brand color is purple. You will see so much purple from a bright idea. There is no doubt when someone sees something purple, they immediately think of us. Uh, the use of a, the light bulb um, in our branding as well is critical and is utilized over and over again in all the communication that we have. Um, being a creative agency, you know, brandings really are our uh, bread and butter, but it is just as important for a creative agency as it is for another small business, as it is for a nonprofit, and certainly for a government client. It's very vital, these concepts you're talking about with branding. Uh, but I also think about brand, the word brand and how it ties to culture. Because a, a brand is all the things you do. It's like everything you do every day in every way from uh, how you answer the phones to how you treat your people to how you interact with your clients. All of it cumulatively creates your reputation or brand. So I kind of latched on to the way you were speaking to culture, because that's really the expression of your brand. And I think that's what your clients see. Would you agree with that, the way I'm putting that together? I would agree with you totally. The brand is a consistent experience. And that is with the visuals that you see, it's with the type of communication that you receive. It's with the engagement of the individuals of an organization. Anita, this is so helpful. I'm so happy you were able to join us today. My guest today has been Anita Brightman. She is the founder and CEO of A Bright Idea Advertising and Public Relations. Again, find her at abrightideaonline.com. Anita, thank you so much for joining us today. Anthony, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Thanks again. This is Ken Karkoff once more. I want to thank our guests for participating in today's conversation. Your insights and perspectives will surely help our listeners. And an invitation to our listeners, if you'd like to participate as a guest in a future conversation, please reach out to me at kenneth.karkoff at dau.edu. Till next time, stay engaged and collaborate across your networks. Everyone's talents and skills are needed within the defense industrial base as we fulfill the national defense strategy together.